Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning and welcome to Off the Bench presented by our friends at United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We're here every day, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern time until high noon. We stream on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports, so check us out. And we got lots going on at Chatterbox Sports. We'll talk more about some of those things a little bit later on. Uh, Please tell your friends and your family about the show. We also stream on Facebook, so look us up at Chatterbox Sports. And, of course, you can follow us on social media. I'm learning all about this stuff. I mean, I, I don't get any of it. I haven't been on any of it. Brandon Seho is trying to walk me through how to do all this. Uh, I almost caught myself. Forgive me. A little bit overwhelmed. But we're on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Tom Brenneman TV, as in television. Tom Brenneman TV. So uh, check us out. We'd appreciate it. We're just getting things started here. We're only in our, uh, really, this is our first full week. We started uh, on a Thursday a couple of weeks ago. Had Labor Day last week. So four days, and this is a five-day extravaganza. And today's show is a good one. We've got Paul Doherty, famed columnist, recently retired from the Cincinnati Inquirer. And he's here to talk about what's going on and what happened with the Bengals against the Steelers over the weekend. Uh, That's coming up in a couple of minutes. Our good friend and NFL insider Brian Billick will be here. And there are many, many, many topics and issues to talk about with him. Super Bowl winning head coach, took his team to the playoffs five times in his nine years, uh, is in the Baltimore Ravens ring of honor and should be. So he's coming up at about 1045. Our good buddy Zim Houday, he was at the tailgate with Casey and Brandon uh, in our Chatterbox tailgate down at Longworth Hall on um, Sunday before the game. Uh, in this Twitter world I was referencing a minute ago, reading uh, Sim Hude. I mean, this dude, he is, uh, he is all worked up about the Steelers and their fans and the stuff that they write and so on and so forth. So he'll be coming up about 10 after 11. All right. Exciting game. Really exciting game in the NFL last night. Not a high-scoring game, but a competitive game that came right down to the final series on a fourth down. But... Russell Wilson, as you know, was making his return to Seattle, now wearing a Denver Broncos uniform following the trade to Denver from Seattle. Surprisingly, maybe that's not even the right word, shockingly. Okay, is that a word, shockingly? Um, There were more boos for Russell Wilson in that crowd last night in Seattle than there were cheers. I mean, who boos Russell Wilson in Seattle? Seriously. Who does that? Who comes to the game and boos Russell Wilson in Seattle? I know he's playing for the other team. I get that. We've seen that here in Cincinnati when guys come back. You know, I mean, if Bengal fans, for example, wanted to boo Carson Palmer, I got to be honest with you. I understand it. Because all he did was scorched earth, and that's all he does now is scorched earth, about the Bengals and their franchise. And I'm not saying he's wrong, 
But you can understand why a fan might just say, forget Carson Palmer. But Russell Wilson, seriously, guy was a great football player. I would argue the best player in the history of the Seattle Seahawks. And, and I don't know really how you can debate that. Okay, he's going to the Hall of Fame, I would assume, in a Seahawks jersey. Right, model citizen, okay, model citizen. Did so much for the community. He gave everything he had. There was clearly some kind of ending here. And Pete Carroll acknowledged that. But do you think Pete Carroll's walking around bad-mouthing or booing Russell Wilson? No. I mean, this is, it's so disturbing on so many levels. And you might say, ah, you're making a big deal out of it. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I just don't want to hear any more about, about what incredible fans, football fans, they have in Seattle ever again. I mean, the world is a disturbed place if Russell Wilson, or Seattle's a disturbed place, if Russell Wilson is getting booed, okay? It's like a divorce. Sometimes it just happens. And one person might have messed it up more than the other person, but it all of a sudden doesn't mean that, that, that you just, you know, outside of something terrible here, but Russell Wilson did nothing terrible here, okay? I mean, they tried to trade him a year ago, and they didn't. And they finally did. All right. Uh, anyway, it, w- it was an interesting game. How about Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on ESPN for the first time? It felt a little weird. I was there with those guys um, when the NFL on Fox started. Actually, with Joe, Troy was still playing when we started in 1994. But uh, I-, I just found it so bizarre. I thought Joe Buck and Troy Aikman would be lifers at Fox Sports as their number one team. Uh, I think the best duo in the NFL. And um, it was a little weird. Uh, But they were on their game, per usual. How about Geno Smith? Yes, that Geno Smith. Former second-round pick out of West Virginia of the New York Jets. Guy actually had a couple of decent years uh, in New York as a starter. And then his production tailed off. uh, And they've been trying ever since to find a quarterback for the New York Jets since then. I mean, you think about the laundry list of guys they've gone through. He started getting nicked up, started getting hurt. He's bounced around ever since. Anyway, he starts last night for Seattle. Starts off red hot, right? Um, and played well. Uh, Throw for a little more over 200 yards, but very efficient. Threw two touchdowns. Didn't turn it over. I loved his interview after the game. I just loved it. Uh, when he was asked, I think, by Lisa Sauter, I believe is her name, and, um, and said, you know, a lot of people wrote you off. He says, well, I didn't write them back. So good for Geno Smith. Denver did fumble twice at the one-yard line, two different series. Once on a fourth down at the one, another on a third down at the one, and Seattle, I think it's safe to say, even at home, stuns Denver. All right, other news and notes quickly before we get to Paul Doherty around the NFL. Uh, T.J. Watt, his season is still very much up in the air. The reigning defensive player of the year in the NFL tore his peck in the win over the Bengals on Sunday. He's getting a second and third opinion as to what to do. We know about Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. He had surgery on his thumb yesterday after getting injured in the uh, game the night before, a loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Obviously will not play against the Bengals on Sunday. Jerry Jones saying they're not putting him on the uh, injured reserve. He could be back as soon as four weeks. Most others are saying six to eight. Uh, In baseball, the Reds suffered their 83rd loss of the year last night to the Pirates. 
They play a day-night doubleheader today. And Angel star Mike Trout has now homered in seven consecutive games, one shy of the major league record shared by Dale Long, Don Mattingly, and Cincinnati's very own Ken Griffey Jr. Trout can tie that mark tonight in Cleveland. And lastly, we'll ask Doc about this in a moment. Zach Taylor faced the press yesterday. And really not much to say, except he's learned from his mistakes. I mean, what else is he going to say, okay? It's one game. We're going to move on. We'll cut the guy some slack. But he's in year four. Year four. These time management things, and, 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 and they've got to get cleaned up if you're going to win a Super Bowl. All right, that's good enough. When we come back, Paul Dockerty talk about all things going on in Cincinnati. That's off the bench. We continue, presented by United Dairy Farmers. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. A pleasure to be joined by the uh, multi-award winning columnist, former columnist of the Cincinnati Enquirer. And he has uh, started back up his morning line. Paul Doherty. Doc, how are you, man? And welcome back. I guess you were, what, in uh, North Carolina? Your um, annual trip to hang out, do a little hiking, and hang out with your son, right? That's right. When, when all the craziness occurred uh, with the Bengals and the Steelers, we were high up in, in the North Carolina woods, Tom. Didn't see a thing. Do you go uh, around the Appalachian Trail? Uh, no, that's that's a little bit west of us, closer to Tennessee than to Asheville. You ever done that? Gone up the Appalachian Trail or any part of it? Not the whole thing, I mean, but the, but any part of that. No. I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, you know, uh, actually, I had thought about doing it, and, and then I took the job from the Inquirer, or to the Inquirer from the old Cincinnati Post, right when I was thinking about doing it, and I had to start right away at the Inquirer. But, I, yeah, I've always thought at least doing – a section or two of the trail, but I, I at this uh, this late date, I think it's more of a concept than a reality. <laughs> when you're hanging out with your son, and we'll get to some of the topics here in a minute, but 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 look, uh, any of us uh, and many watching are parents out there. Uh, your kids grow up. We've already sent one daughter to college. We have a son who's finishing up high school this year, and I already uh, just get so overly emotional thinking about uh, him not being around, neither one of them being around. Um, but, but, but now, what, what's it like that your son is an adult, a productive citizen, living his life in a different city from where you and your wife are? Um, what's that like now to go spend that time with him? I, I know that sounds silly. Of course, it's great time. But, but how is it different as the years go by? Um, that, that's a great question. I mean, he's 36, so he's been out of the, out of the nest for quite some time. So it's not necessarily that. What it is, at least from my standpoint, is time tends to compress as you age. Uh, I'm amazed, continually amazed, at how quickly time passes. And, and it goes quicker the older I get. Um, the three days went by like three minutes, literally. Uh, and because time compresses like that, Tom, you, you're very conscious of not wasting any of it trying to make the most of every minute, um, not to make you know, this a real big deal or put too fine a point on it, but you, you want every minute to count. Whereas in the past, you know, many years ago, you think, well, we're going to do this every year. 
and we still will do this every year as long as I'm old, as long as I'm able. But the window of my being able to do what we do is closing, and because of that, every 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 uh, year is more special, more precious, and more meaningful than the year before. If that makes any sense to anybody. Dude, I mean, that makes perfect sense to anybody and everybody. And, and I made the comment last week, I always so much enjoyed, obviously, all your sports stuff, but, 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 the, but the, the, the human side, uh, you know, uh, of your, your son, your daughter, uh, and, and your dogs. Uh, and, and I just think, uh, you know, th those are topics we can continue to, uh, to talk about on this show because I think there's more to the world. Doesn't feel like it sometimes, but there's a hell of a lot more to the world uh, than sports. Now you're away from it all. You get back into town. Um, what what did people share with you, uh, and what have you been able to gather about the whole Bengal Steeler game over the weekend? Well, I, uh, several things. One, it was a ridiculous football game. I mean, by by, by any measure, it was a ridiculous football game. That the, the sort that seems to happen only when the Bengals play the Steelers in Cincinnati. Uh, it's, it's right up there with the perfect Pac-Man playoff game, uh, right right up there with the chemo Von Olhoff and uh, injury to Carson Palmer. It's, it's an all-timer. That said, um, I, I, I got a lot yesterday of the sky is falling, which is what we expect in Cincinnati because we're not secure enough in our, in our fandom, in the, our belief in these teams, and for very good reason, by the way, we're not secure enough in, in their uh, their success that we can handle a loss like that. Uh, there are a lot of people jumping off bridges today um, who shouldn't be. That that said, to me, a couple of things stood out. One is, and we talked about this last week, Tom, the rust showed. The rust cost in the football game. I, I don't think there's any getting around that. You can you can talk about questionable officiating. You can talk, talk about Zach Taylor's uh, decision-making. You can speak to the obvious of Joe Burrow's turnovers. What cost him the game was rust. You saw it on the first play of the game. You saw it throughout the game. Guy gets sacked seven times. He gets hit 11 times. Um, they needed that practice time. You know, they needed the game time in August. And I think next year you will see Zach Taylor change his mind about that. Interestingly enough, there was sort of a foreshadowing, Tom, right, on yeah. Thursday night. When the Rams lost, got obliterated at home by the Bills, the Super Bowl champions, and um, Sean McVay is, is Zach Taylor's mentor. And Sean McVay doesn't start any of his veterans in August either, and look what happened to them. So I think next year we'll see these guys play a half or so. But I'll tell you what really stood out to me that I haven't really seen talked about much was uh, Joe Burrow is one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. Um but, but he has his own distinct personality. And the reason, one of the reasons that makes him great is that he is confident enough to think he can make any throw. And obviously you want that in your quarterback. I, I've always said only very good and very bad quarterbacks are capable of throwing multiple interceptions in an NFL game. Uh, obviously nobody's saying that Joe Burrow is a very bad quarterback. Uh, sometimes he makes throws he shouldn't make just because he's Joe Burrow, and the one yesterday was the was the pick six that that Vince, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick baited him into throwing, and basically set the tone for the game. So uh, there aren't going to be very many bad games like that for Joe Burrow. That was the worst one he's ever had. We won't see another one like that this year. But we saw it next. We saw it yesterday, 
and, and it is a byproduct of Joe being Joe, the guy that we want. But every so often, Joe being Joe could blow up in their face. And I think that's part of what happened yesterday. That All that said, Tom, to wrap it up, um, nobody in December is going to remember a game in, in September. It's a little like uh, NCAA basketball. Teams that go to Hawaii or whatever over Thanksgiving and, and lose the unranked teams, uh, it's a big deal at the time. When March rolls around, it doesn't mean anything. I, I think ultimately, even though you only get 16 and 17 cracks at it, so it's a big loss, but this one's not going to haunt the Bengals, I don't think, in any way, shape, or form. The only thing they should take from it is, one, you better block better than you did yesterday and all last year, and, and two, maybe mix in a half of action for your, for your veterans in August. I got to tell you, though, Doc, I, I, I think you're right on uh, no one's going to remember this game or the outcome of this game. Um, but I, I, I do think the one thing now that's going to start to build, because we saw it multiple times last year, and, and, and the overwhelming majority of those times, the players uh, and the team bailed Zach Taylor out. Um, of some decisions, some time management things, uh, those kinds. And I'm not the kind of guy, and I know you're not either, and you, you've written about this with David Bell, you've written about this with other uh, head coaches and or managers here in town, that look, the easiest thing in the world to do is to point the finger at those guys in that job. But look, they, 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 this is big boy country, right? This is the NFL, and this mm -hmm. is year number four. Um, and w when I hear some of the comments, and we're going to have a, a few of them coming up later on, uh, about, you know, we got to learn from our mistakes. Look, that, that's all you want from anybody in life. Uh, each and every one of us, you try to learn from your mistakes. But, but some of these things, Doc, uh, have got to be, and maybe they are, uh, directly addressed, especially something like the chase touchdown that wasn't challenged. When you take in all of the circumstances, and I know you didn't see the entire game, but you're up to speed on what I'm talking about here, to not have somebody in Zach Taylor's ear, and I don't put this directly on him, but I put it on his staff or the franchise, somebody has got to say to him, and I don't care how many bullets are flying, so to speak, someone has to say to him, Coach, throw that red flag and challenge his thing. Well, uh, yeah, I think you're right. And having, I, I wasn't at the game or at the post game either, uh, or at his news conference yesterday. So I'm really not qualified to speak about this. I would say that I, I never saw where Taylor said I never had anybody in my ear. I mean, as a rule, coaches do yep. have someone telling them when to throw that flag, whether he did or he did not. I, I have no idea. Maybe he just didn't want to throw somebody under the bus. Maybe, in fact, he, the call was all his. I, I would be a little surprised if it were. Uh, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I agree with you, what you're saying. Little little things mean are, are big things if you want to win a Super Bowl, and that's this team's goal. And it might come down in a Super Bowl to, to uh, a coach making the wrong decision that'll cost him. Uh, a championship. Um, that that said, I, I still look at big picture and I, I see I see five turnovers. Um, you know, I, I, I see an offensive line that did not perform well mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Um, I, I, I see the Bengals running 
90 some plays and scoring 20 points. Yeah. Uh, I, I see four cracks from the one yard line and nothing. So, sure, I, I, I think it's a concern, Tom, but uh, all the other things to me were far bigger concerns than that. Now, we'll see. I mean, if, if this plays out and, and keeps going and he keeps, you know, messing up, then sure. Uh, one game, I'm, I'm not going to throw him to the wolves in one game. I, Fair I, enough. Uh, we used to hear this a lot about Marvin Lewis's clock management was was so terrible, and sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. But I never felt that clock management was the deciding factor in the in the Bengals losing a game under Marvin Lewis. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. Um, I want to shift gears to UC, and again, you were out of town over the weekend. Now, look, this was a blowout win against Kennesaw State. So, you know, you, you take it for what it's worth. You knew it was going to happen, uh, and it did happen. Uh, but, but, but now, all of a sudden, uh, they're going to start getting into some, some bigger games, better opponents. Miami of Ohio is no pushover. I think UC is going to beat them at Paycor Stadium this weekend. But uh, Miami's no pushover any longer. And then you start getting into the meat of the schedule and the meat of the conference. Ben Bryant, who started down in uh, Fayetteville, we talked about missed some throws that could have been touchdowns. You know, that's okay. You move on, and, and they got beat. They bounce back. We did see Evan Prater. Now, we know how provincial Cincinnati is. For those who don't know, Evan Prater was Mr. Football in Ohio, the Ohio High School Player of the Year out of Wyoming High School. I saw him play a lot in high school because his school plays in the same conference as uh, where our kids go to school. So I saw him play a lot. Basketball, football, kid's an incredible athlete. He leads him on a long touchdown drive, four for five, 92 yards. He runs 44 yards for a touchdown. So we know about the athlete this guy is. What I'm getting at, I guess, Doc, in a long-winded way, a very long-winded way, just ask my wife, is, um, you know, if you're Luke Fickle, you're trying to win every single game, Bryant won the starting job in a fair competition. But as we move forward, do you suspect we start to see Evan Prater more and more? I, I don't know. You're, you're, you're walking a slippery slope with that. Uh, I don't know who said it many, many years ago, but it's still true. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterbacks. Um, uh, obviously, they, they come at this with unique, uniquely distinct talents. You know, one, one guy is a pure pocket passer. The other guy can run. Um, it's sort of a nice problem to have, but you got to be careful in how you manage it. Um, I, I, I suppose I could see a time when, depending on the opponent or even in an in-game situation where you switch, where you pull, you pull Bryant and you bring in Prater, or if you're playing against a team that is not so vulnerable to the pass but doesn't contain a quarterback very well, then you, then you start Prater. I, I, don't, I don't know. I think their skills, like I said, are unique for each one of them and could serve purposes very well for each guy. What you don't want to do is have one guy lose confidence or have his teammates lose the trust in him. And I think if you use, if you get into the business of using two quarterbacks, that's, that, that's a possibility. Um, I think a guy like Bryant, a pocket passer, kind of a rhythm guy, I don't know that you, you play him a half and he doesn't have a great half and you yank him or you, you yank him in the middle of a quarter because he's over, overthrown another deep ball. I, I, there's a traditionalist in me that says, you made your pick. 
you made your selection quarterback. You stick with that guy. Um, in dire circumstances, maybe, maybe you pull him out and put the other guy in who you think is better suited to that situation. But if I've made my decision, and it was a decision made over months, not days, not hours, you, you got to stick with that guy. Now, it's not like Bryant was terrible the other day. He's pretty good. Oh, he's you know, very I don't good. Know what it says to be pretty good against Kennesaw State. That's one thing I really don't like about college football and why it'll never be as good as pro football to me because you have too many UC versus Kennesaw States on the schedule. Yeah. But um, he played well. I mean, he didn't play well enough or poorly enough to say, well, we got to think about using the other guy. Oh, but you know what? Again, Tom, you got, you got another team's defensive coordinator who's going to be up all night, yep. you know, all week, trying to figure out, trying to game plan for two coaches. I mean, that's an advantage. You just got to be careful with it. Last thing I want to ask you about, and, 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 and I'm throwing this uh, uh, off the wall at you, but while you were um, away, I, I know you are aware that Bob Huggins was finally mm -hmm. inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And I, I don't think there's a human being alive that played for him, that watched him coach, whether it was at Cincinnati, now at West Virginia, that played against him or had to coach against him that would argue this guy belongs in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, I, I'm sure you would agree with that, and you covered Bob Huggins for years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, oh, I... Go ahead. Your, your thoughts on, on Bob Huggins, uh, you know, uh, and finally getting in. Why did it take so long? There are guys that have gone in that I don't think are one-third the coach Bob Huggins is, just as a coach. Um, his personality – naturally rubs some people the wrong way, I think. I, in, in some respects, halls of fame are, are a little bit, you know, personality contests. Yeah. Bob Bob has never been one to uh, schmooze with people that, that might be able to help him. He's not interested in, in, in doing any of that. He's not a politician. Uh, you know, I am who I am, basically. You know, running the Popeye theme here. And you don't like me? That, that's on you, not me. And I, when it comes to making halls of fame, that might, that might not be the best way to be uh, if you want to get elected early. Uh, Bob got elected completely on his merits. Um, uh, terrific, obviously a terrific basketball coach, uh, a father figure to any number of his players. I, I covered his whole career at UC and talked to the guys over the years that, that played for him. Um, and to a man, with one exception who I will not name, uh, they had nothing but respect for, for Bob. And, and I mean, he was a son of a bitch, uh, frankly, to them in practice. But uh, he, he brought the best out of them. He got the best out of those guys. Uh, he appreciated guys who gave it their all, all the time. The ultimate Huggins player was Kenyon Martin, who not only, he came into UC as a raw player known mostly for his defense, uh, came in not at all polished student, uh, left as a top draft pick and, and, and a, a fine, fairly polished young man. Uh, that was the ultimate Bob Huggins guys guy, but there was a lot of guys like that. So sure, he he belongs in the Hall of Fame, and now he's finally there. It might have taken him a little longer, but but really good for him because he got in being himself. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, Doc, welcome back home. Uh, hope Thank all you, the muscles and the knees and everything, the <laughs> hamstrings, the back, all that stuff still in one piece. Yeah. And uh, 
We'll catch up with you again next week. Thanks for the time today. Thanks, Tom. All right. Paul Doherty, kind enough to join us. And he's got the morning line rev back up. Um, so you, you'll certainly want to check that out. It's great to have him because uh, he brings a perspective and has in Cincinnati sports forever uh, that is second to none. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to hear some of the comments made by Zach Taylor at his press conference yesterday. Uh, and then we're going to catch up with Brian Billick. There, there are so many things going on around the NFL after just one week. Um, and we'll talk to him about, you know, if you're the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys uh, or if you're Jerry Jones, uh, what do you do at this point with the quarterback situation? Uh, he made some great points last week about Arizona and Kyler Murray, uh, about the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, both of those teams were just hammered over the weekend. And we'll talk about the Bengals and Ravens and about coaches. This is the one thing I really want to talk to Brian Billick about today, and I think you'll find this interesting because, look, with all the talk uh, about Zach Taylor the last 24 hours, 48 hours, Brian Billick was in that position on the sideline and is an NFL coach, okay? So maybe it will be interesting to hear uh, what goes on when everything's going on for a coach in the National Football League. Brian Billick, right around the corner on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We're working through some technical issues uh, right now with Brian Billick, so we'll get to him here in a minute. But right now, it's our Bengals report, brought to you by Encore Technologies. Great to have them with us. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. Okay, so our Bengals report, as we mentioned, Zach Taylor um, met the media yesterday and discussed a number of topics that have been on everyone's mind. Check it out. For me? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, obviously just letting the place settle on the one-yard line to Jamar and, and letting that be a touchdown as opposed to getting no points in four plays. Um, that's, one, that's one you want back, and, and that one just falls on me, to be quite honest with you. Um, so that's something to clean up. And then, you know, the, the snap at the end of the game on the punt, um, it's just an unusual situation the way we got the punt team out there. You know, it was um, a little bit of confusion with where's the ball going to be spotted? What down is it? What should we be doing? Going for it? Kicking a field goal? Oh, we need to be punting. Um, kind of at the last second, you know, the clock's running. We got to punt. And so you don't get a chance to sit there on the sideline and say, hey, listen, guys, let's bleed this down. You're communicating onto the field to do that. And, and uh, you know, so... Um, that's an area of improvement. It's kind of an unusual situation. I think someone in here asked me yesterday, how much do you work on that situation with your backup long snapper? It's not very often. Uh, I will say this about Mitch. You know, it's what I told him after the game is nobody in the NFL wants the job as the backup long snapper. And he, he stepped up and stepped up to the plate and gave us an opportunity to win the game. And I was really proud of him for that because that is not a, not a job that anyone in the history of football has ever volunteered for. And that's true. No one's upset with Mitch Wilcox. He stepped in there, and like he said, it was an emergency situation. Uh, if they block Minka Fitzpatrick, 
instead of sliding over to block the guy who's furthest away from the kick, instead of the guy who's closest on the inside, which is football 101, if they block Fitzpatrick, the, the, the extra point's good, and, and we're not having this conversation. The Bengals win the game. All right, pleasure to be joined by Brian Billick, uh, former Super Bowl-winning head coach. You've seen him on television through the years, uh, now working as an offensive analyst under Herm Edwards at Arizona State University. Brian, I, I want to jump right into this whole thing about time management, clock management, decisions that a coach has to make on the sideline. Now, I don't know how intimately familiar you are with what happened in this Bengals game over the weekend because you're following every game. But let's start with uh, the Jamar Chase, without a doubt, was a touchdown. The Bengals don't throw a red flag to challenge the call on the field. Walk us through what's going on in the headset of a coach at that moment in time. Well, it's, it is, there's a lot, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, and, and how many times we've, we've seen Tom when we were doing games where because the challenge system, which I don't like, by the way, uh, you've got coaches up in the booth, but they, the fog of war, they get emotional. How many times I can't tell you how you're on the sideline. They're going, Oh, challenge your coach, challenge, challenge it. He caught it. He caught it. And I throw the flag. And then I look up on the board, and the thing bounced twice before it got to the receiver. You know, <laughs> the the, um, the measurements. You know, did he step in or out of bounds? Did he cross the goal line? We saw one on Monday night uh, where where Seattle challenged a, a, a placement on fourth down, and it was just by inches, and 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 uh, Denver ended up getting the first down. Uh, those those are the tough ones because it's so so fine, and. Uh, unless you get one of like we used to do, you'd zoom in and you can really see. They're tough calls to make. Why they would not challenge the chase, you know, it seemed pretty obvious. Uh, I'm sure the booth was yelling. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. But th that process is clearly you've got guys in the booth. There are a lot of teams that have guys strictly in the booth. That's all they do. Because uh, you don't want a lot of voices coming in. Because, again, fog of war, everybody gets emotional. So how they missed that, uh, you saw a number of things, obviously. And, and the challenges are tough. We have the technology and everything goes through New York. They, they tend to get it right. When you say you don't like the way it's set up right now, um, and, look, you get under two minutes, and that's when, you know, you can forget about challenges. Everything goes right up to the booth. What don't you like about the way that the system is set up now? Just the fact, I don't think we need the challenge system. You just said it. In the most critical part of the game, when the most critical calls are made inside two minutes, there are no challenges. It goes strictly to the booth. Well, why don't we do that the whole game? We have the technology. We just got done watching the U.S. Open, right? And, and no lines judge because we have the technology to see was the ball in or out of the court by just – you know, mill of just the, the scantest amount of distance. Uh, we have the technology. It is fluid enough. The guy on the field, quite frankly, all he does is go to the sideline and, and do what the New York tells him to do. It was in, it was out, it was a catch. It wasn't this, it wasn't that. So I don't, in my opinion, uh, we, the technology and the way we've got it framed up now, we don't need the dog and pony show or the waste of time of the official going into the booth. He's got a communicator. New York's communicating saying it was a catch. It was out of bounds, and you can move on. I'm not asking you to critique in any form or fashion, nor will I the entire year. You're kind enough to give us your time, and I don't want to go down that road. Uh, but I, I just want to know from, 
from, from when you were a coach and you're on the sideline. The Bengals punt with 13 or 14 seconds left on the game clock and the play clock, which gave the Steelers that additional time to ultimately get down the field and that additional 13 or 14 seconds led to them getting down the field to kick the field goal to win the game. Do you expect your punter, or who is responsible, I should say that? Is it the guy who's standing in front of the punter, you know, behind the center, who, who's the one that ought to be keeping an eye on the play clock before you actually snap the ball? Yeah, it's all of the above. We saw a lot of that. And, and clock management is always one of the, the toughest things to, to, to get down Pat, particularly inside of two minutes. I think we talked about it before. There, some MIT Digidomo said there are a billion different <laughs> combinations that can happen inside of two minutes in a game based on field position, score differential, who had the ball, what happened during it. And I always used to tell people, well, I got the first half 500 million. That I got down pat. It's the next 500 million that are kicking my butt. Um, there's a lot of moving parts. You're right. In that situation, it's all above the head coach, the special teams coach, to every member of the snap and, you know, the snapper and the punter uh, and the upback saying, guys, um, you want to bring the clock down. You see it all the time. Quarterbacks slow playing at the line of scrimmage, bringing the clock down at the end of the game, trying to eat up the clock. Um, uh, and, and obviously in special teams, the same way. Uh, we saw some terrible clock management on the Monday night game with Kansas City and Seattle uh, or, or Denver. Um, they just wasted with Russell Wilson on a final drive. All he needs is a field goal. Russell And all that Russell Wilson does to let 15 seconds uh, go off the clock for them to decide what they were going to do on a fourth and five instead of maintaining the time. So it is a lot to it. It does have to be highly organized and communicated. But in that instance, clearly the special teams coach and the head coach should have been communicating, and they likely did, with the kicker going, hey, let this thing – we don't want to leave any time, okay? The game is what it is right now. Uh, you know, obviously overtime. Let's not uh, let, let's not give them any chance of, of life. And, and so, yeah, in this instance, the clock caught them. Before we get to a couple of other big topics around the league, since we're talking about, you know, a, a second ago rules and, and those kinds of things – Clark Harris is the long snapper and has been for nearly 15 years for the Bengals. Every team has a designated long snapper. Most teams, that's their only job. Should the NFL consider having an additional roster spot for a place kicker, a punter, and a long snapper active? You know what? As we lengthen the season, and because you're right, uh, the, the, the size of the roster, you don't want – or the league doesn't want games to be decided because a team is overrun with injuries. Now, you can only go so far with that, and the roster can only be so big, and there's certain things that they adjust. You're right. At those positions, and you really, on the regular roster, you can't afford to keep a backup snapper, a backup uh, punter, a backup kicker. You can even say a backup holder, for that matter, because you can find guys on the team. Now, the snapper and the kicker, that's that's a tough one. Um I remember we went up and played the Jets one time, and my punter goes down. I ended up Cordell Stewart having to punt for me. He hadn't done it since college. Uh, actually got special teams player of the week because he cranked off a, an 80-yarder, <laughs> about 20, and rolled the remaining 60 uh, <laughs> and in, in the Meadowlands against the Jets. So uh, to your answer your question, yeah, it might because you'd hate to have, particularly late in the season, critical games come down to the fact that you just don't – your snapper got hurt. 
and and it was and the game was affected. Now you could say the purists say, well, hey, that's it. You got the you got the roster size, and that's football. And if that's the way it falls, so be it. Uh, but you'd like for the game to to be won or lost on the pure talent of the individuals involved, compared to the fact that you just had the bad fortune of losing a key player like that, whether it's a place kicker. Uh, or it's a snapper. Now, will they ever do that? Unlikely. You always develop that backup snapper. Uh, uh, and, and again, you, you worry about that uh, because, you know, they, they don't do it on a regular basis. But certainly with the roster sizes we have, uh, might be something to think about. Aaron Rodgers the other day, almost from the very first quarter. And we discussed this topic last week about Devontae Adams leaving. They still have some good skill position players there, but Rodgers was not happy in the preseason about the way some of the younger guys or some of the older guys, for that matter, were running routes. In the first quarter, he's rolling his eyes. He's shaking his head. And, and that's Aaron Rodgers. That's been his personality for a long time. But, but him being up here, and I mean way up here, Okay, as a big star, future Hall of Famer, some say the greatest quarterback of all time. That's debatable, of course. But when you're the head coach, can you call Aaron Rodgers into your office or would you call him into your office and say, Aaron, look, uh, we're all trying here. We, we can't have that kind of body language out on the field. Yeah, I think Matt LaFleur has to be worried about being called into Aaron Rodgers' office <laughs> because, <laughs> because that look was – it was right at him like, okay, this, this is where we're at, right? You, you're not going to hold on to our good people. You're going to make me deal with this constant changeover with the receiving core. You know, that big touchdown pass that was right. I, you could not have walked down and handed it to the player any better, uh, and he drops it. That, that type of thing, particularly at this stage in Aaron Rodgers' career – uh, he's going to be frustrated. Now, Aaron knows that. He, he knows that the body language, he knows it's not productive, but it but it's human nature. And and I would think Matt LaFleur and the GM in, in Green Bay uh, have to be more concerned about being called into the, being called on the carpet for, well, how did you let us, a good fo football team, let us get to this point? Now, having said that, let's start, you know, Minnesota at home, of course, played very, very well. Kirk Cousins was, was outstanding. And, and they ran the ball. Dalvin Cook looked outstanding. They, the receivers, Jefferson was out stealing, were, were, were very, very good. So take nothing away from Minnesota. Uh, but you're right. Uh, and, and they'll go through, you know, he'll do his Aaron Rodgers to, hey, relax, we're okay. I'm not sure if he thinks they're okay. Brian Dable takes over as coach of the New York Giants. You and I both know New York. Everybody knows New York, right? Um, he came in, he said, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to play to win. Uh, one of the proudest franchises in the NFL. All the years we did games together, I, I don't know if there's a classier franchise than the New York Giants. There are a lot of great ones, but they're right up near the top of the list and have always been. Uh, he comes in, he says, we're going to play to win. We're going to be aggressive. They score the touchdown to draw within one in the last minute and a half at Tennessee, a game they're overwhelming underdogs. He throws up two fingers, says, we're going for two. Now, when it works, it's great. When it doesn't work, we know how that goes. Um, were you shocked that he decided his first game as head coach to go for two in that spot? No, I don't think so because, again, you make those, those decisions. Like you said, you're a huge underdog. They're on the road against a good Tennessee team. 
you got to take advantage of every opportunity. And that was probably the mindset going in. And you have those conversations during the course of the week. Okay, just how aggressive do we want to be? Uh, plus, keep in mind, they ran for 238 yards. Saquon Barkley looked spectacular. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jones only had to throw the ball 21 times. So they were very, very efficient. Uh, obviously had a lot of confidence. They held uh, Tennessee to under 100 yards rushing. So they had to fe be feeling good about themselves and their ability to either stop Tennessee or get in that position again or, you know, whatever they were going to do on the two-point play. So particularly on the road and trying to, you know, cast your mark as this is what we're going to be. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's a surprise. And you're right, it, 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 particularly in a place like New York, if it works, you're a genius. If it doesn't, you're the village idiot. And had he not made it, it you know, it would have been, oh, my God, this guy, the game's too big for him, and and uh, what a mistake he made. We also discussed the whole Arizona thing. I don't know if you heard any of the comments after the game to Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach in Arizona, and then to Kyler Murray, the, head, uh, the, the, the quarterback. And we all know about the contract situation the details that got out about the contract, we talked about that and what a debacle it was. We knew that if they didn't play well, you said it here on the show last week, that this was now going to start to snowball. They got obliterated by a really good Kansas City team. But all the problems that the Cardinals had last year, multiple problems when they collapsed down the stretch and then got eliminated in the first round of the playoffs, they were all there again. And the question started right away about how you practice, how you prepare. And I don't know about you if you saw some of those or heard some of those comments, but I heard them and watched them this morning. Uh, it already seems like th th there is a huge disconnect, and I could be 1,000% wrong, between the head coach and the quarterback. Yeah, we, we did talk about that. Whatever, And it's true of every team. Whatever issues you have in the offseason, and you hold them in arms, well, oh, no big deal, it's off season and, and the players are fine and we work past it and there's time for pay and there's time for play and all those cliche, cliche things you say. That's all well and good if you play well and you win. If you don't, all of those things come cascading down on top of you. And you could try to say, no, we're not focused on that, but quite frankly, you don't have a say in it, you know, because people like us are gonna talk about it and, and bring all that kind of stuff up. And I think Cliff Kingsbury, is along with his quarterback uh, under a lot of heavy scrutiny. You know, he came in under unique circumstances. Is this style of play going to win? Obviously, their plan was to match him with the, the, the great player, Kyler Murray. And, you know, we were going to have this wide open shotgun offense and, and wide open uh, shoot from the hip. And and it's oh, it hasn't been real good. Uh, and certainly Kansas City kind of, you know, they were in the A division and, and Arizona was not. I'm obviously in Arizona a lot going back and forth with my duties with Arizona State. And so there are a lot of questions. And so the questions about Kyler Murray, who played okay. It's not like, like Kyler Murray. I mean, obviously, Kansas City. We had questions about Kansas City and were they going to look like Kansas mm -hmm. City without three you know, they just picked up where they left off. Five touchdowns by Patrick Mahomes and five plays, five explosive plays. Kyler Murray played okay. Um, uh, they didn't run the ball as well as they needed to, and the defense had no clue how to stop Kansas City whatsoever. So uh, Cliff Kingsbury, as the head coach, has a lot bigger questions than just what's his quarterback doing and how are we doing offensively, and can my stuff really work in the National Football League um, You know, as a head coach, because obviously he's responsible for what's going on, on the defensive side as well. Uh, and, and that makes that a very big game 
because they're at the Raiders, and the Raiders have some questions to answer. Yeah, like we said, after week one, half the te- half the league is absolutely panicked. You know, oh my God, what are we going to do now? We got- now you talked about the pressure about an zero one Cardinal team playing the way they did versus no one on zero one one Raider team who threw all those interceptions with Derek Carr. Uh, uh, one of these guys needs to get healthy, and the other one is going to be in full panic mode. Speaking of panic mode, the Dallas Cowboys. They looked terrible even with Dak Prescott. Their defense actually did okay. You allow 19 points to, to, to Tom Brady in that offense. That's playing good football. But the, but the offense, and, and I've thought it for years, I love Prescott as a guy. I, I'm not as big a believer as, as some others are in Prescott. Unfortunately for him, he gets hurt. We know what the whole world is like down there in Jerry World. If you're Jerry Jones today, now he said they're not going to put him on the injured list. They think he can be back in four weeks. The doctors are saying more like six to eight weeks. So even if you split it, say six or seven weeks, somewhere in that range, right? Um, They've already lost. They're playing the Bengals this weekend with a backup quarterback. You know the Bengals are going to come down there and play much better than they did the other day, especially Joe Burrow. Um, If you're Jerry Jones, are you making phone calls to inquire about somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo? Um, or are you going to play this backup who's been around the the offense and the organization for four years, but he's a backup? Um, what do you do? That's a tough one. How, how, what do they really think Prescott, the timetable is on Zach Prescott? Because they're in a division that, you know, in the last few years – you know, nine and seven can win the division. I don't know if it does this year. Obviously, Philly looks pretty good. We just talked about the New York Giants. Washington actually looked pretty good. So I don't know if that's the way it's going to pan out. Uh, maybe you do because they still think they're a pretty good team. And it is Dallas. That's that's the thing right now. Mm-hmm. And I was in Dallas uh, on my way to and from Stillwater. Um it's the Cowboys, and so it's the end of the earth or, boy, we're going to the Super Bowl right now, the pure panic mode of how, how good are we going to be. And and you're right, Jerry's got to deal with this. Not Mike McCarthy because, as we know, Jerry Jones, he's the guy that's doing the press conferences after the game, right? So it's Jerry. Mike's just kind of a conduit in between. Uh, and, and now it's going to fall on McCarthy. And, and the OC to can we manufacture enough? Can we get the running game going? Is our defense playing well enough to kind of keep us in this, notwithstanding what is the time frame for a Dak Prescott? That's the one thing we don't know. The, the trainers and the doctors, that they're gonna, they've got to be on their game to say, okay, Jerry, it's going to be five weeks. It's going to be eight weeks. It's going to and, – and not press that timetable. Uh, but they could be reaching out and seeing if, because it's hard to imagine that as good as, you know, the Rush kid's been around and all that, uh, to think that they're going to hold up for eight weeks. I'm not sure that's the case. Yeah. All right. Brian, we thank you as always for your time. Great insight and um, and good luck to the Sun Devils. Who you got this week? Uh, they're at home against Eastern Michigan and then come back and play University of Utah. So it gets real, wow. real, real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I want to talk to you a little bit about the college game next week when we get together. But thanks for your time as always. Good to see you. That's great. All right, buddy. Brian Billick, uh, he's the best. Uh, great insight there on multiple fronts, especially that whole bullets flying, um, what's going on on the sideline when you're a head coach, um, decision-making in like that. Uh, we're going to take a break. We got our buddy Zim Hude, everything Bengals. We'll hear from the man himself in just a moment. 
All right, welcome back to uh, Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. We've got our uh, main man, Zim Hude, coming up here in a minute. So I know you'll want to stick around for that. Uh, I found that whole Brian Billick conversation so interesting. I hope you did too. And, and we'll be sending out some of those clips a little bit later on on Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of thing. Uh, but just talking about what actually goes on there. And one of the things he said that I, I think needs to be asked of either Zach Taylor or the Bengals organization, period. Coach Billick made the comment that a lot of organizations have one person up in that coach's box. That's their only job is to jump in the head coach's headset and tell them when a play should be challenged. And I wonder if the Bengals have that person. It'd be interesting to find out how many teams in the NFL have that person and how many don't. The one person we have with us, whether he's uh, back home along the eastern seaboard or he is traveling to Cincinnati to watch his beloved Bengals is our main man, and that's Zim Day. Zim, you've got a smile on, my, on your face, uh, and it's a great smile. It's a handsome smile. It's a friendly and warm smile. Yeah, that's right. You, you should take a bow. Your wife feels that way. Your little boy feels that way. You had some great <laughs> pictures of him over the weekend. You were not smiling at the game on Sunday. Your overall thoughts of everything that went down. Love to hear them. I think you're going to find about who I am today. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like I, we've been talking for a couple of weeks. I feel like we're getting close, Tom. But I think you're going to find out the real who Zim Hude today. Well, tell me. I, I mean, well, I want to hear it. Fans want to hear it. Let's hear it. I feel like a lot of times Bengals fans are like, sky is falling when something doesn't go their way. And it reminds me of like my son, like when he was like four or five or something like that. I'm really, really cut and dry when it comes to like football a lot of times. Um, I'm not the context is needed. I'm not the let's blame calls guy. So you're not going to get that. Straight up, Joe Burrow played the worst uh, first half of football. The offensive line looked like dog crap. A lot of things didn't go there. The pass rush was non-existent. A lot of different things happened. And it put the Bengals in this, in this peculiar spot. And I think it's amazing. And it talks about uh, how talented they are to get back and even put themselves in a position to even win a game like that. I think Mike Tomlin made some mistakes at the end of that game, throwing a football on second down, quick clock, and even giving us the opportunity to go tie it up. I don't. I think I blame the Bengals. And if you've ever heard my takes on the Super Bowl, I blame the Bengals for going five straight possessions for not scoring. I don't care about the third down call with Logan Wilson or any of that stuff. That's how I look at football. You put yourself in a position where you shouldn't have because you were the much better team. You came out and spread formations trying to be cute when you could bulldoze these guys and they're not on your level and they only did trick plays to even get this, the points that they did get. Their offense was null and void the whole entire day. Um, and I walked away from that game super exhausted and I get everybody calling for like this snapper stuff. Like I was sitting right there and watching them snap on the sideline, all these different things. It's not like Mitchell Wil Wilcox doesn't do that in practice. So I'm not that guy. I just think that the Bengals just blundered an amazing opportunity to start off 1-0 with a team that had no business being in a close game with them. Couldn't agree with you more on that part of it, for sure. Um, but, hey, look, I, 
I'm on social media now for the first time, and I'm trying to get used to this world. I talk about that every day because I don't understand it. I don't know it. I'm trying to learn it a little bit. You've been on it for a long, long time. You have tens and thousands of followers uh, on every social platform there is. You were pretty upset about the T. Higgins thing, though, and I don't blame you because that was without a doubt uh, helmet to helmet and, and should have been right. uh, a targeting penalty there. I don't know how you missed that call. And, and I'm, I'm like you. I'm not one of those guys that badgers officials and say that's why you won or lost or all that kind of thing. There's a lot of right. that out on social media right now. But that was right. a dirty play, I thought. Cheap right. play. There were several dirty plays. And, and, and I want, if you're a Steelers fan and you were watching this or something like that, don't get it mixed up. Me and Tom, our jobs are to analyze a football game. That's different than a fan telling you, oh, my God, I can't believe this is da-da-da. Like, that's an excuse for why we didn't win a football game. I would be, it would be disingenuous to the sport of football for me to act like this guy wasn't wrapped up and then Minka just comes in there and just bow helmet to helmet on the guy, taking out one of our better players on the team. I think in a hypothetical situation, if he plays, you win the football game. I also think that the TJ Watt hit um, after Joe Burrow has no business being in football either. I think that that's a play where a guy is looking at Ted Karras, who has a uh, has a better shot at, at stopping the runner. So anybody acting clueless and acting like this guy could have made a tackle on the play, like, no. He clearly went after his midsection area. Joe Burrow's not seeing him. They're like, yeah, he locked eyes with him. Like, Joe Burrow's a terror on defense. He's about to tackle, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, the runner on the play. Like, come on, like, like let's stop doing that song and dance. Like, Bengals fans will 100% shake your hand and say, you earned a victory. But don't sit there and lie on my face and act like T.J. Watt had a business hitting Joe Burrow when he had nothing to do with the play. Yes, Joe Burrow is going in after the play in case whatever. Ted Karras is a person that's closest to him that he could have hit. Instead, he takes the crown of his helmet and tries to jam it into Joe Burrow's area where he just had appendix surgery. Are we really doing that? And then acting like the Bengals like, are notorious, like, dirty players? If you're a Steelers fan and you're watching this, name me the dirty players. Who are they? Well, I mean, they you don't make the argument now, Zim. Hold on happen. now. Hold on now. Now, look. Um, you know, it, it, Vontez Burfick was one of those guys where if he plays for your team, you love him, yeah. okay? And if he plays for the other yes. team, you don't like him at all. He was a hell of a football player. And, and if he could have avoided some of the – the stuff he wound up doing, I think he would have been a guy that could have put himself in line to be a potential Hall of Fame player, but that ain't going to happen. Sure. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger came out that week before during the week and said he actually got very concerned about playing against the Bengals in his career because of, quote-unquote, cheap shots or dirty hits, right? I mean, it's happened. It's, that, but, Tom, you're, you're making my point for me. Who are the dirty players? There's one. But if you're a Bengals fan, I could give you about 10 Steelers guys that you could, including coaches, tripping people up. You could go to coaches on the field. You could go to all of these different elements that we watched for 30, 40 years. The reason why I have followers is because I just show people the obvious. Like, it's very clear that they get advantage in some of these opportunities. And as Bengals fans, we just kind of take it. I think the players even coming before the game, we're looking at it like these are our goals. These are the marks that we want to hit. We want to handle business. The Steelers, the coach showed you exactly what they want to do. Black Air Force energy means I want to stomp you out, and I don't care if I win, lose, or draw. I'm knocking somebody out. I'm going to take you out however, I, however it goes. The new version of, oh, um, 
that what Steelers fans will do right now is like, oh yeah, I mean, what do you want to do? Put a skirt on them or whatever, like a sexist like translation to say like, let's let's just do whatever we want, and if anybody complains or shows it or talks about it, then 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 they're not they're not man enough to play football. Like, bro, football is football. Playing football is different. I think we just lost his audio there. I think for some reason we just lost uh, Zim Hude's audio here. He's still there. Yeah, he's still here. We, he's we still can there, see, but we can't. Talk to me, Zim. See if we can uh, hear you. No, I don't know why we just lost his uh, audio there. Yeah, I'm not sure either. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to him uh, if he can stick with us uh, here in a second and see if we can't get that uh, straightened out. Because I want to ask him a little bit about the whole scene down there at quote-unquote Paycor Stadium before the game, especially the uh, he was kind enough to be part of our, um, our uh, pep rally and pregame show down there at Longworth Hall. Brandon, you were down there uh, with him. And Zim Hude shows up. When he shows up, is Zim Hude like a star amongst the people, the Bengals fans? Oh, yeah. No, he is a uh, – he's, he's bigger than you. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than some of the Bengals Why players. Why you got to throw me in front of the bus? You want to throw yourself in front of the bus, go ahead. Well, I got to <laughs> humble you at some point, right? <laughs> Believe me. That ship sailed a long time ago. Right. Now, Zim was great. He came back, and we had a lot of fun. We met his son, too. Uh, he was there while Drake or Patrick stopped by. We did a nice little interview. Dre had some choice words. For uh, the Steelers fans, looks like we got Zim back on. All right, yeah, Zim, a good time. Zim, I'm sorry we lost you there. What, what that whole scene? Uh, reading some of the, the 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 comments on social media, I guess in years past there's always been a ton of Steelers fans that have gotten into Paul Brown Stadium now, Paycor Stadium. Um, I heard it was not like that this year. Is that right? I feel like there were all there were a whole lot of orange, as I like to say. There was a whole lot of orange out there. So that was always a beautiful thing. I don't want to take away, you know, like I'm a fiery guy. I don't want to take away from the experience. Like I think if you're watching this and you're wondering, should I go to a Bengals game? Absolutely. Like it's it's lit. Like everything, I mean, it's packed. I mean, when the score was twenty to twenty, oh my God. Like pandemonium, like not even that one. Remember the first Jamar Chase one is like, oh, one yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I jumped out of my seat. I don't even know where I went. I was up there with the jet flyer guys or whatever. Like I had an out of body experience. Like the the moments at those games and, you know, um, uh, Brandon was just talking about me and my son. My son was like screaming his head off and everybody was there. I was like in the family section. So all the families and everything, they were, everybody was pumped up. So it's a great atmosphere. I love being at the games, you know, like, on, unfortunately, at the games, you don't see everything, I guess, sometimes. Sure. It's like moving, moving, moving. But I just think it's a great atmosphere. And I, I thought that the Bengals represented really well. And I don't think uh, fans walked away thinking like, man, we suck this year. I just think that they, it was like an exhausting experience where I was just like, my heart can't even take it anymore. I don't know if Zach felt like that at the end, and that's why you punted the ball with 13 seconds on the play clock when you could have bled the clock and just punted it or even took the delay a game and just punted it down, and then you probably get a tie. Easy. But I don't know if they were just exhausted or they were just watching how they dominated the Steelers' offense, you know, the whole entire game. I don't know what they were thinking at the end of the game because I was drained. I, I, like, sat down for the first time like around that time. So you're not in panic mode here after losing the first game. 
Show me a team that had five turnovers and then comes back and the quarterback throws for 350 yards, two touchdowns, runs for eight yards a carry, 50 yards, and didn't blink, didn't fret, anything like that, comes back and looks like a serial killer after the game. That's me. I'm Joe Burrow right now. I'm ready to go play some football right now and show everybody exactly what I told you I would do. I just think that every game isn't going to go the way. I think the preseason conversation is all hindsight. If Joe Burrow goes out there in preseason or this offensive line goes out there in preseason and one person gets hurt, they'll call Zach Taylor the biggest idiot on earth. The first half they came out and looked like they've never played football together, right? Then they come back second half and regroup. I I, I think that they played fine. And how about the defense? I thought yeah, the defense, defense was went great. Crazy. Yep, defense was great. The defense no was problem crazy. There. So you're not jumping on this uh, Zach Taylor kind of thing and about all the issues that apparently went on. You're you're all in. No problems. No nothing. I mean, I you know, it's all they're talking about here in Cincinnati, as you well know. Right. I get I get it. You know, like it, that's it, I've told everybody as far as as far as talent goes, I think they undersell the Bengals roster. I think the Bengals roster is top two, top three roster. I agree. And at times, I do I do worry about Zach Taylor's feel for the game at certain times. I worried about that in many different spots, it's, it, especially when they were losing in the, the games that they lost sometimes. I felt like he didn't have to lose the way that he did in some of those instances. And even last year, I think you look at, like, the Raiders game, um, even the playoff game or whatever. I'm talking about the Raiders playoff game. Or, or whether it's the Packers game, whatever, taking the ball out of Joe Burrow's hand. His feel for the game is like a little bit off. And I think at the end of the day, if they don't go back to a Super Bowl, 100%, you're going to be like, it's Zach Taylor's fault. I think if you make that extra point, though, maybe the conversations aren't probably as loud. And I just kind of look at football like that. Like some things sometimes go your way. For the team that they said was so lucky, how unlucky were the Bengals on Sunday? Like that, you know what I mean? Like you couldn't be more unlucky than that. And that's kind of how I look at it. But if I do, if any other team, including the Steelers or anybody you can show me right now, gets five turnovers in a the game, they get blown out by 30 points. Yeah, you're right. Like you're it's right. not even close. There's no doubt about that. All right, before we let you go, I want to ask you about this weekend in Dallas. Uh, I, look, um, we gave the numbers yesterday. Since 1990, only 12% of teams that started 0-2 in a season made the playoffs. Now, that's been based Ooh. on a 16-game schedule. Now we're on a 17-game schedule, so maybe a slight alteration there. Not much. 0-2 is 0-2. You're playing a team without their starting quarterback. Granted, you're playing on the road. Now, I ask you, is this a must, must win game? For the Cincinnati Bengals and for Zim Hude. It's a must win for me, for sure, right? But if I'm being a realist, because you, you talked about the Zach thing, I, I, I'm i one of them guys, consistency. Consistency, consistency. Like, the more and more we do this, Tom, the more we'll be locked at the hip. The more we'll, you know, like, we'll just keep on building and building and building. So I know that this might sound crazy to a lot of people, it's going to take 10 years to get rid of me or knock me off of my pivot as far as like Joe Burrow goes and like, is it a must win game or something like that? Isn't that super extreme to say like, team, like you know, like say that this season doesn't go the way that I think. I know I got the guy. And when you know you got the guy, you could just go and try to pick out all these different spots that you want to make sure that you do better. So I don't look at it like 
it's a must-win uh, game for the organization. And also, you're playing an NFC opponent. If you're being real also, you need to be smart enough to know the backside of the schedule is a gauntlet. So one of the things that I preached before is that this team has to come out hot. I wanted them to start off the season like no less than 6-0 and or like 8-0 and because the backside is so crazy that you're just digging yourself in a hole. Mm-hmm. But if they were to go on to, I've seen so much crazy stuff from Joe Burrow on this team and the resilience of him, including this past Sunday, I wouldn't even say you could count them out at that point. It would have to be like, you're like three games, like until it's done. All until, right, I, 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 I got to tell you, I'm surprised. You know I, mean? I'm, I shouldn't be surprised because you've stayed with a team with some really shitty teams. <laughs> I mean, you've stayed with a franchise <laughs> with some really bad teams, right? But I, I, I got to right. tell you, I, I, they lose this week, and I think they're in trouble. Get ready to pack they, it they, up. They, I mean, if you can't go down and beat the Dallas Cowboys with a backup uh, quarterback and with see, the roster the that, Bengals though. have, Hootay, come on now. Come on, Zim. Come on. You just said it yourself. This is a top two or three roster. The Cowboys yes. roster is not even in the top 10. Not even in the top 12, I don't think. Right. Maybe not in the right. top half. So, on the road or not, this is a game the Bengals should win, and in my yes. opinion, they better win. Yes, I, I agree with that. You now, you if you would have said, hey, if you would have said, Tom, uh, if you would have said, hey, Zim, do you think that you're going to be the Cowboys? I'm like, yeah, I think we're going to slaughter them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like those are two different questions to me. Okay. Like, yeah, All I think right. they're gonna. I think they're gonna kill the Cowboys. Like I really do. But okay. I will say this: because we need cohesion, all these different things that people preach all all season about cohesion, the line playing together, getting reps together, and whatever. All those things are still in place for me. So if they don't come out and blow the doors off the Cowboys, I'm not looking at them funny either. I think every single week they'll just keep on building off of it, and it might not look as pretty as people want on the Cowboys because everybody's expecting them to beat the crap out of them because of what the Cowboys did in week one and how bad they look. I think the game's close again, but I think the Bengals just win this time and Joe Burrow takes care of the football. All right, good enough. All right, Zim, thanks for your time, my man. Glad you got back with your son, safe and sound, uh, to Baltimore. God bless you, brother, and I'll talk to you next week. Talk to you, Tom. See you next week. We're going to get us a victory, and we'll have a real chat then. You the man. You the man. That's the man, Zim Huday, kind enough to join us for our uh, tailgate. And uh, I, I, I got to ask him uh, next time, I, is he coming in now for every single game uh, moving forward? I, I, you know, they, have you looked at the prices of airline tickets lately? Have you looked at the price of anything lately? My Lord. We were looking to go visit our, da- our daughter down in Texas. And, and I cannot believe the price of airline tickets. Or Zim might have bought that stuff up when the schedule came out back in April or May or whatever it was. So who knows? But gosh. And, and half the stuff doesn't even run on time and they're getting canceled. It, it, it's brutal. Uh, but that's, that's for another day. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk uh, to, 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 to Brandon and Casey, find out what's going on and tie a ribbon around this show. Uh, we're right up around uh, 1130. By the way, and, and I don't know if he wants me talking about this or not, but our buddy Tracy Jones is supposed to be with us every Tuesday and Thursday.
And it's some of the best, I'm going to call it television. This is streaming, so it's television. Uh, some of the best television there is of any show, anywhere, anytime, is when Tracy Jones joins us. But apparently he had a fall here in the uh, last couple of days uh, and has really injured himself. Um, fearful of a broken nose, uh, among other things. Not life-threatening kind of thing. I don't want to uh, overstate this or blow it up. But uh, say a little prayer for Tracy. We think he'll be back with us on Thursday. He will not be with us here today. But Tracy, we're thinking about you. If you're just uh, laid up and taking it easy, get some rest, get healthy, get well. We're back with Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers, right after this. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Because of uh, Tracy Jones not joining us today, we're going to uh, cut the show a little bit short, by maybe about uh, 15 minutes or so today. But uh, we're right back at it again tomorrow. Um, and speaking of guys that are not feeling well, tomorrow, and we had promoted it the entire time, Chris Collinsworth. And many of you heard him do the season opening game between the Bills and the Rams. Sounded typical Chris Collinsworth, awesome, on his game, energetic. Well, he had to turn around and do a game three nights later when he did the Cowboys and the Buccaneers, and he did not sound good. I could tell in the first 30 seconds that there was something wrong with Chris, and he is not feeling well at all. He's been told not to talk uh, for an entire week. He's scheduled to do a game, of course, this coming Sunday night on NBC. He was our uh, big interview tomorrow, and so we're working on, um, you know, we just told him, he and I were going back and forth texting yesterday. I'm like, dude, you know, you take as long as you need. Get yourself wet, ready for your real job. So he will not be joining us tomorrow, but we will find someone tomorrow that will be a big interview. Next week, we have Barry Alvarez. Hope to have Chris the week after that. So no Chris Collinsworth tomorrow, but uh, tune in tomorrow at 10 o'clock. We'll let you know who it is. It, uh, it will be a good one. I can promise you. Uh, gentlemen, uh, what, a couple of things. You know, I'm going to give you a chance, Casey McAllister. You know, you, 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 you're feeling guilty and you're feeling yeah. badly about using that word hate. Yeah. Right? I, I probably shouldn't use the word hate. Um, I do apologize, Drew Sample. Um, I'm just very angry and upset over the Bengals losing and had to take it out on someone unnecessarily. So I do apologize for that. Um, it, it, I really should uh, not use that word ever. Well, it's, but it's not the end of the world. We know you didn't mean it. I even said it, I think, at the time. You didn't yeah. mean that word. I just came in with all these different issues with the Bengals, felt betrayed by them, not performing the way I thought they should have performed. The Monday morning quarterback the, overreaction. Exactly. Hang, but, but hang on a second, okay? And, and look, he didn't I, miss the block. I've, I've been criticized at times, rightfully so, uh, for being negative. When I was doing the Reds games and, and all those kinds of things, okay? But look, um, Drew Sample, if I remember right, University of Washington, right? Uh -huh. yep. Second round pick. Yeah. Right? Okay. Look, um, these guys, uh, I, you don't make it personal, but everybody and his brother sitting in that meeting room yesterday at the Bengals facility down at Paycor Stadium, 
He's getting lit up by the coaching staff. I can promise you that inside of that meeting room for whiffing on that block and for taking the outside guy instead of the inside guy and arguably the best athlete on the field in Minka Fitzpatrick, and he doesn't get blocked. So calling him out on it, no problem whatsoever on that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, that, that's, that's it really is just, you know, I need to separate the anger that I had for the team for that exact moment in play and time. And I, I don't feel bad about calling him out. It's more just, you know. Okay. Needed okay. to apologize for it. And You're a good man, Casey. Yeah. Do you feel You're better? A very good man. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy. I actually uh, almost had the chance to meet him at uh, Eastgate Mall one time. I walked right by him and said hello and just didn't uh, stick around to get an autograph or anything like that. And Is there such a thing as Eastgate Mall anymore? I had a job there when I was in high school. There's like a I Dillard's. Worked at a clothing store there when I was in high school. There's like a Dillard's outlet left, and that's it, I think. Yeah, it's pretty much. They have gone. some indoor baseball batting cage or some operation in there, or something like that too. I don't know. I know where I know where Sample works out in the off season, so we can get you in the gym with him, and you can really tell him how you feel. <laughs> That'd be a really good yeah. idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really good idea. Uh, Casey, you brought. I mean, uh, Brandon, you brought up. You know, you've got your show starting up that has to do with mental health. We talked about it being in November. One of your early guests is going to be a very familiar name for University of Cincinnati football fans. And that is Marty Gilliard. Yeah, Marty and I have a uh, pretty good relationship the past, I guess, I'm trying to think of how many years it's been, 2009, so probably 15 years now. And his story is incredible. So I'm, gonna, I'm shooting and recording that interview after your show today. Won't come out until November with the other batch of them for the mental game. But, I mean, this kid got kicked off the team, lived in his car, lost his scholarship, worked three jobs, comes back, has that incredible 2008 season, the big game at Oklahoma leads him to the Orange Bowl that you called that game, I believe. And yep. then the next year, undefeated season, two kick returns for a touchdown. The Pittsburgh comeback, almost all on him besides that Armand, Armand Bins touchdown at the end. And his story, I think, is going to help a lot of people. So I was chatting with him earlier this week. We're going to shoot that interview here in about an hour. Good. He, he, he's one of those good guys that been through a lot and i think it can help and motivate a lot of people just out of curiosity because i'm sure some people are asking and since the show's not coming out for a while what is marty gilliard doing now he is still playing some uh arena football oh good also coaching at a small division three college up in massachusetts really yep so i didn't know they played football in massachusetts well the patriots do besides that well, I, i'm talking about yeah. youth football i didn't know they did yeah, no, Division three College, it is – why am I blanking on it? I think it's Nichols College, different than the Nichols that's in yeah, yeah, yeah. Louisiana. Louisiana right. Yep. So a lot of, lot of excitement with, with guests like him. I'm working on some pretty big names. I don't want to put it out there yet, but, you know, guys I've worked with in the past. You know, I have LSU ties. I have some ties um, to the Saints, to the Bengals, Reds. We're getting Jake Fraley next week, the Reds outfielder, who's been outspoken about mental health as well. He's had a nice he's had a nice run of it here yeah. lately. Co yeah, he's one of the bright spots for an otherwise down year here lately, right? Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's had a great last couple of weeks. Yeah. And uh, Sean Miller, we're getting him this week, the head coach over at Xavier, he used to coach at Arizona as well. I think that'll be an interesting interview. So, uh, yeah, come November 1, we're going to have a lot of big names on this show. I had somebody share with me, uh, I, and I don't know if there's anything to it, but it's somebody that's very close to the Xavier basketball program. 
Xavier will not be penalized in any form or fashion. The, the, the Musketeers, whether it was Chris Mack, whether it was uh, uh, Travis Steele, uh, all, all the years, going all the way back to Bob Stack, they, they've never been in any kind of trouble with the NCAA in any form or fashion. Now, we know Sean Miller had some issues at Arizona. Um, somebody shared with me the other day that they think there is a chance that Sean Miller could face some kind of discipline, just Sean Miller before this season starts obviously you can't um you you can't hand down any punishment to the school that that has nothing to do with any of it uh that being xavier where he has just been named the head coach for a second go-round uh either one of you guys heard anything about that yeah same deal i think any disciplinary action that'll come from the ncaa would be just for coach miller nothing to do with the xavier program because the the violations or you know what the whatever happened did not happen at Xavier. Right, right. Um, okay. Um, all right, fellas. I guess that's going to be about it. Did we ever figure out today, do we have a uh, cherry on top? We do. Do we have that today? We do. All right. Well, this is the cherry on top segment presented by our friends at United Dairy Farmers. My favorite thing at UDF next to the chocolate malt is uh, a hot fudge sundae, and you always get the cherry on top. What, what, now, tell me what's going on here. Casey found this. I'll let Casey explain. Casey. Yeah, so this is uh, some high school event. Um, Guy gets the handoff here, and he does something just incredible. I'm going to just let you watch. Okay, all right. That was a pass, but he just jumps and does a 360, and then he just – A 360 hurl. I've never seen that. Look at that. I've never seen anything like this at any level. That's unbelievable. I mean, he could have roundhouse, roundhouse kicked someone with that move. I've seen Lamar Jackson do the spin move, but not with a jump. Or a three, this isn't just a three. It's a 360 hurdle over another player. Wham. Yeah. Look at that. That's impressive. And that kid was in a good tackling position there. Yeah. And then he just takes it to the house. He, he said, I'm not just doing that. that I'm going to go all the way. That is cherry on top worthy. That play. Uh, right there. I, I was doing the Bengals game for Fox. Who was a wide receiver? Uh, Jerome Tampa. Simpson did the front flip. Yeah, did yeah. the flip over Tampa yeah. Bay defender there in the corner of the end zone. That was unbelievable. But that thing right there. I think sometimes that's where you forget what amazing athletes these guys are. It's easy to sit up where I used to sit up there in the broadcast booth and call games and wonder why a guy you know, did this or, or more accurately didn't do that, whatever it might be. But when you see the athletes, especially in football and basketball, when you see the athletes and, and, and some of the things that these guys do, even something as simple, go out and just you know, find somebody who can throw a football, okay, or a baseball, it's fine, right? And, and just take off running, say in baseball, it's a ball in the gap and it's in the air and you're trying to track it while your feet are hitting the ground, and now your eyes and your head start shaking a little bit and trying to track the ball. Say the most simple thing in the world for these guys, right? But, but to get an appreciation or trying to run while ball's in the air and make sure you catch it, and I, I just think some of the stuff these guys do is, is mind-boggling and uh, blessed with, with incredible ability that uh, the rest of us simply were not. All right, boys. Thanks for everything. We'll see you tomorrow. Fair enough.
Everybody, yeah. you feel good about yourself now, Casey? You okay? Yeah, I feel. I feel. Right? I feel better about. We don't the find situation. you in a puddle of white liquor somewhere later. <laughs> no. No, no issues. I, I should be good. Yeah. Okay. Because, right, because you know, we don't want that to happen. Thanks for joining us on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We're coming your way tomorrow at ten. It's ten to twelve every day. YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports, Facebook, Chatterbox Sports. Tom Brenneman TV, you can follow us on social media. Please do on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Thanks to Casey and Brandon, our executive producer, Trace Fowler. We'll see you tomorrow.